0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show. Recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au or whatever podcasting app you choose to use. And don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at bze tech show. My name is Matt Grantham and joining me today is Anthony Daniel. How are you, Anthony? I'm good, Matt. How are you? And uh, today uh, we're getting a repeat guest on. Uh, Reposit Power is a Canberra-based software startup uh, working on how solar power generation and storage can help facilitate a shift away from fossil fuel generation. Uh, We've had Luke Osborne on the show, and he's their chief operating officer, and he joins us again today. How are you today, Luke? I am well. Thank you for having me back. And this time in the studio. That's right. Yes, it's uh, good Good to get a studio guest in there. Do you want to just give our listeners just a sort of a brief description of Reposit? Uh, we did cover some of this before, but just a bit of context around what, what your company does. So Reposit makes software that allows people that have Solar panels and storage,
1: what we'd call a distributed energy system, to not only make the most of that system, but interact with wholesale markets. So earn some money from supplying services back to the market, just the way a power station might do today.
2: Yeah, when we spoke last, we talked a lot about the fact that if you just have a solar panel on your roof, you don't really have the ability to really engage with the market in a way that you can when you have storage. So maybe we can just recap a bit on that and speak maybe a bit about the the general feed-in tariffs that people that have now and how that could change with with the advent of storage.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So right now, today, people might be earning feed-in tariffs. Some of them might be big feed-in tariffs, and the more modern ones are, are quite low. And the reason they're low is because you're spilling energy onto the grid when you have excess sun, not when the grid needs it. So sometimes the grid goes out of balance, and that might be a shortage of capacity to just deliver energy or it might be a, a frequency imbalance or it might be a, an overload on your local network segment. Um, if you can put power in precisely when it's needed, not necessarily a whole lot of energy but just the short sharp jab when the grid needs it, that's worth money and that's that's worth far more than a feed-in tariff that, that you would get, um, get from just spilling in whenever it comes.
2: And a lot of people have, have talked about the fact that 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 renewables in general are going to be difficult to get on because they are so unpredictable and storage is meant to be the panacea the thing that is going to resolve this, this, this issue. But of course, if we can pick and choose when we bring back in energy, that means that will bring reliability to the network, even though we have variable generation. But of course, I'm not going to sit there in my house and decide every time I'm going to sell energy back to the grid. So that, what role does software play to, to, to smooth that matter over?
1: So that's, that's exactly right. You don't want to be sitting there waiting for the market to go high and press some sort of button. So what you need is an intelligent system, and we've built a brain for your, just your energy system at home, which allows you to do that without sitting there all day. So it monitors the system on your behalf the
0: way a stockbroker might do it. Uh, Luke, I just had just one question just to sort of break that value proposition down just for one second. here. You mentioned there about the stakeholders there. You've got the the issues of you've got your your generators, your retailers, all of those people fitting together and you guys create value. Um, can you just sort of explain, and obviously the customer as well, break down, you guys are obviously sitting in there and trying to take that value. How do you go about distributing it up at the moment between those those three parties? Obviously, you want to make some money, you want the customer to make some money, but how does that uh, pie get divided? Yeah, that's a really great question. So we really only compete with one
1: party head-on and that's big big thermal generators so we that's a pretty big competitor <laughs> can I just mention but it <laughs> they are big competitors, but we don't compete with retailers who we normally interact with on a day-to-day basis and and the networks who run the poles and wires that run to our home we're really complementary to them and our system allows consumers to work closely with those parties and everyone, can share the benefits. So, for instance, the retailer who's responsible for buying the energy that comes to your house, they can buy it from you instead. And that's quite valuable because you can supply it often cheaper than the coal-fired power station they might buy it from today. The networks can build less poles and wires because you're there to help them when the network's under stress. So the way we work together there is we set up a little market and we allow people to, if they bid a sufficiently high price your storage system will supply the energy to them. So we create a little electronic market at your house. And what happens, you might come home and find your batteries discharged, but you've
2: earned something we call grid credits, which is money from selling to those third parties. Yeah, so let's let's go into that a little bit. And I've got it incorrectly on my sheet as green credits, but they are grid credits. <laughs> um, and uh, and the, the grid credits are such that if someone has... Excess power in their storage, and at an opportune time they're going to 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 bid that uh, into the market so they can get a benefit from that and your solar and sorry your st- uh, software manages all that so someone just gets the benefit without being you know obviously an active participant but how does that all happen how, how does the the power that's coming from their storage into the grid how, how does it announce itself if you like? Uh, this is coming. F- this is a green credit, and it's coming from reposit, and then should should get some sort of benefit somewhere for someone.
1: Yeah, that's another good question. So we don't tag electrons in electricity. We we have meters, and we it's like a big tank, and everyone's metering what's going in and out. Uh, what we provide is an interface for it say it's your network, your local poles and wires company. They look at your street and, you know, a whole lot of people on your street have bought Teslas and it's going to melt the wires if they don't do it, do something. So they say, well, could you start discharging some energy right now? They have an interface where they, they put in a price and they say, I want energy now. Who's going to deliver? And your system might say, well, you know, my peak rate is 30 cents a kilowatt hour. You're offering 2 dollars a kilowatt hour I'm better off selling it to you than using it myself and I can
2: recharge off the grid later and I was financially way better off so it's a little a little bidding system if you like yeah, so so reposit is putting bring energy in from the storage device in the same way that a, a wind generator is putting whatever they've generated, mm-hmm. uh, or a thermal generator is putting in, bidding into the market as well.
1: Yeah, well, sometimes we, we liken it more to Snowy Hydro. So they uh, they sit there with a full dam and they wait for these price spikes to come along, and they open the valve only when they need to. It's a little bit the same. You've you've got a, a full tank of Chemical storage in this case, and you 're waiting for those price spikes normally you 're just doing things behind the meter, making sure your house and your solar panels all in uh, in harmony, but sometimes there's a price spike and you you open the floodgates the same way that a a hydro hydro dam would
0: Luke, Luke, can I just sort of pick apart the sort of relationship that you've got here? Because you're dealing with you, there's private government, there's or SPIs, net. You can name them all. How do you go about? Do you have a flat rate that you charge them all, or what's your? Is there only certain areas of the grid where your product is viable at the moment? Have you to strike those deals with those those particular poles and wires companies? How do you how do you sort of contextualise your relationship with those those specific companies and those broad stakeholders that are out there in the in the market? So. That's
1: that's another good question. You're asking a lot of good questions, but that, that's, an, that's another good one. We try. <laughs> so those problems tend to be localised. A few years ago, we were building a lot of poles and wires, which is why prices went up so much for consumers. And since then, people have been doing a great job of using less electricity, putting a lot of solar panels in, a lot of energy efficiency. And for the whole grid, you know, it's probably well known, the demand is dropping. And that means we don't have this generalised need to build more grid. But we do have a lot of localised problems and they tend to be right at the end of the grid, what we call the final mile, and they tend to be in small increments and there's a lot of uncertainty about whether that demand is going to keep growing. The network doesn't really know whether they should reconduct the whole street, rip it up and put new conductors in, or, or maybe just a few smaller actions might get like putting storage in, or, or helping people who have storage to earn some money, that might solve their problems. So storage is great for those kind of final mile, incremental, small, nasty problems that there's not really any better solution for. So we look for those. But there's a bigger thing going on in, in with poles and wires companies as, as everyone uses less, and as it becomes possible to go off the grid, they've got to have to evolve their businesses. So they're really looking at providing services to consumers, and that might be managing these distributed PV plus storage systems on behalf of the consumers. So we're seeing seeing a lot of interest in that
2: kind of thing from networks as well. Yeah, so this is really interesting because when we spoke last, um, I, we tried to get a, a distinction between your market offering and say another company that we've interviewed a couple of times on the show called Sunverge. Mm. And they're a company that's more likely to engage directly with a network operator in the sense that they, the, the network operator would, would purchase their software and use it and install, install the, the storage and perhaps do a deal with, with the consumer that way, whereas yours is more aimed via the consumer. So the consumer would be the one that says, I want storage in my house. Hmm. So how, does, how, would, how would you say the offering is different compared to how Sunverge would come in and, and, and offer something? Because the, the consumer would be more involved in your model, wouldn't they? Because they'd be earning these grid credits. Yes. So the way we look at it is the
1: consumer. Right now, the consumers are buying these energy systems, and it's theirs. You know, they they paid for it, so um, they should be paid if they render services to a third party. And and so we we looked at it and said, well, who who is the grid for, and who, who's spending the money here? It really is consumers. So we need to work out a way that the other stakeholders, and it's not just networks. It's also Um, retailers and the system operator who can also get services from these things. How do we make a a system that makes sense to consumers? And if it were me, I invest in a storage unit either directly or or via some financing scheme. And I get home in the evening and I find that my storage system has been discharged uh, and I haven't been paid for it, I'm going to be annoyed. So that's why we've worked so hard on finding a system and providing a really compelling user interface that explains to people what's going on in the network and, and allows them to feel good about helping the, the, the network. And maybe we should call them green credits because it really is helping a, the grid evolve into something that can be really clean, but also really stable.
2: Yeah and this is really interesting because I'm sure that even you guys don't know how it's all going to going to play out and what this the relationship between the network operator and the the uh, the retailer and the consumer and how that's all going to fit together. When I was on your website earlier today I noticed that you're uh, recruiting installers. I think it was an installed tribe that you were trying to create. Um and um who do you see these guys being Is it would it primarily be Solar installers and integrators uh, initially that that would be the the people you're trying to target to be the uh, essentially the resellers of your service.
1: Yeah, There's something that you should do when you do a startup, and that is find something that's really hard to do. And we've certainly done that. <laughs> <man>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got some... tick. Oh, well, well oh, done. Well, <laughs> there's no solution actually <laughs> yeah. determined yeah, yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So we so we're we're having to you're right having to let things evolve, see how they go. We see solar installation companies as a vital part of this because they are the people consumers talk to when they want to buy an energy system. So that's why we're so interested in them. We want them to say, well, you should buy one of these market trading ones that Reposit can provide to you. So you you choose the storage system you'd like, and that might be a Tesla system, for instance, um, but make sure it has the Reposit software on there so that it can do the sort of things we're talking about. Because if you care about a green grid, you should really be using your system to do this kind of thing, not only because it helps you financially, but it helps a big wind farm, for instance, get onto the grid in the first place and then earn a, a decent living from supplying energy to the grid because you're helping it by keeping the grid balanced. Yeah, so we see we see installers as important. We also see retailers as important because they need to evolve retail products that complement what we're doing here. Um, they need a way to buy energy from their customers, clean energy from their customers, and they no longer have to buy it from dirty sources, so they were giving them this option. You need you need this
0: ability to buy power at an affordable rate when prices spike in the wholesale market. We'll buy it from your consumers. Luke, someone recently uh, posted on your Facebook page and asked a question about getting a green consultant to assist with their energy storage ins- installation. How do you see uh, the value chain of this evolving over time? And, and perhaps sort of another angle on it is, is do you see your consumers as being, uh, you know, just giving you the surplus? Like, to so just being... Uh, or would you still expect them to have retailers, for example?
1: Yeah, I think retailers are, are, are here to stay um, for for several reasons. One is they provide a great service in terms of... Um, well, necessary service at least in terms of billing and um, uh, risk management for consumers So we don't want consumers fully exposed to the, the downsides of the market. We, we're exposing them just to the upside. Um, and regulations mean that... We need a participant who can aggregate together a lot of customers and trade that in in the spot market. So we still need retailers; they're still an important part, part to play. Um, so consumers, however, are supplying more and more of their own energy. And if you've got storage and a decent control system on that, like ours, you'll get um, you can supply you know sometimes up to seventy or eighty percent of your own energy needs.
2: And where this is uh, really in- interesting to me, because, uh, because we, that is that whole: uh, do you chop up the value chain in lots of different ways and have people who specialise and then work together, or mm. do you do you do the whole kit and caboodle yourself? Uh, it's sort of like the the, the Apple versus Samsung or, or AMS versus Android model, and which one's going to play out, which one's going to work. Mm. I, I wonder if there is someone who's going to rock up and say, "Yeah, we do it all." So yeah, we don't need any of you guys who do bits of it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Matt was
1: asking me earlier off air what the difference between us and Sunverge is. And and one one key difference is Sunverge chose to um, invest in their uh, own storage. So they produce their own storage device, which is a good device. It's a big, um, big unit in terms of its energy and power. And it's um, it's an outdoor unit, so it's a good good device, but it's not a Tesla. And you know, as soon as Tesla comes along, you know people want to change change storage device. So what we make is one great user interface, one interface back into the networks, one interface back into the markets, and you can choose whatever device you want. And if you're retailer wants to sell you a device, then they can
2: they can sell you the one you want rather than just a Sunverge unit. Yeah, so you're in the Android camp then. Okay, we got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all, right, all right. So we're on the Beyond Zero show and we're speaking to uh, Luke Osborne from uh, uh, Reposit Power, uh, a Canberra-based startup doing some fantastic stuff with software in the energy storage space. And we're going to push forward now and talk about uh, the latest developments you know it's only been a few months since we spoke to you um, your pilot scheme in Canberra was going going well Is it is has it shown any development since and have you been getting a lot of learnings in, in more recently of what you've been doing there we have uh, the
1: customers up there are classic early adopters and uh, some of them are getting in there and turning things on and off and testing you know the limits of what we can do and, and so we've learnt an enormous amount our system is now you know, working really well. It's really compelling when you see a system. What it does is predict how much sun you're going to get, what your load's going to be today. It'll prepare the storage for that day, so it might charge up a bit off-peak. And then you come into the day, as soon as the peak prices hit, you go off-grid all day. You might see a couple of grid credit events. We are demonstrating the systems a lot, so we are actually buying energy from the customers so we can demonstrate it to people. And then it'll charge from the sun, go right through to the evening when the,
0: when off-peak prices start again. And when you see that, that's, that's quite a you know, compelling thing. And, uh, Luke, there was recently a scheme launched in Adelaide that provided aims to provide incentives to purchase uh, storage. Uh, does your scheme sort of really help to sort of juice that market, so to speak, to really sort of uh, help those storage technologies to really take off the fact that your technology just really sort of lubricates that market
1: yeah, I guess it it does two things. It makes it much more exciting and compelling to be be part of the energy system, and that's great because it's generally been a fairly negative experience for people. And secondly, it, it shortens the payback period. So if you can earn you know a thousand dollars a year from supporting the grid, and you can earn that sort of money in South Australia, that shortens your payback period from something you know it's quite long, and and you know getting up there in terms of what would be a sensible investment to something that's quite a sound investment. So. South Australia is a great example of what we're going to see in the future. They get 30% wind, you know, something over 5% solar, and they're starting to have these balancing issues because Northern and Playford, big coal-fired power stations, don't run all year round anymore, and sometimes it's quite hard for the market operator to procure enough balancing services to keep the, the grid balanced. And they have looked forward and said, we're going to have to curtail wind and stop building wind in South Australia if we can't get this from somewhere else. So that program, which has been promoted by the state government and the Adelaide City Council, is a great example of how South Australia
0: can keep getting greener and keep their their, their grid balanced as well. Luke, I'd also just like to sort of delve into, because we've had on this show, I wouldn't say hundreds, but many different types of battery chemistries uh, that have been talked about. And we've got deep cycling uh, batteries. We've got batteries that don't like to be deep cycled. How Mm. does your, so for example, like the flow battery versus the Tesla battery, for example, the Tesla's a lithium ion battery that doesn't perhaps like to be discharged too much. And we've had other people from Aquion that really have technologies that they love to discharge and, and the battery's happy to be fully discharged. Does your technology, how does your technology... Uh, accommodate all of these different types of storage, understanding that you know if you've got something that is a flow battery, it just loves to be discharged every day and there's no real negative effect for the customer compared to other batteries that perhaps don't like to be cycled as much. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So generally you have two parameters with storage, you have
1: power and energy, and you need to think about both parameters when you buy a storage device. So power is the punch, if you like, and energy is how long you can sustain it for. A lot of the services we've been talking about today are based mainly on power. So if you're wanting to reduce load on the local network, it's best if you can do that at a high power, not necessarily for a long time, but a high power. So the sort of services we offer are more valuable if you can have a bigger inverter, if you like, a 5 kilowatts better than a 3 kilowatt and a 10 kilowatts better than both those. We don't mind what chemistry is there. We actually just treat it as something that we can tell what to do and inside our software systems we put a bunch of parameters in there that tell us how the thing's going to respond if we say you know give us five kilowatts not right now and it takes 10 seconds to get there we enter that in if it gets there in half a second that's wonderful you know we enter that in too so so we don't mind we'll work with whatever comes but just bear in mind that there are different values for different types of battery
0: And there was an energy storage conference in June this year. Did you go along and and what did you see there that interests you particularly?
1: Yeah, I think when I started out in this area, it was really hard to explain what Reposit did and why it should exist, even to manufacturers of storage devices. What I saw at that conference and some others I've been to lately is really a growing recognition that you do need software for this distributed energy world. And it needs to be, you know, software is obviously functional and does the sort of things we're talking about, but it also needs to be robust. It's part of an essential service. So, you know, you need to maintain people's privacy and you need to um, make sure that, you know, that's not going to be hacked and all those sort of things. So you're seeing this sort of segment, there's a lot of attention from the regulator down and, yeah, it's really exciting
2: for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I I read something that, Came well. It might have not been as a result of the conference, but someone just mentioned the fact that you know when you've just got solar on your roof, um, then where energy can flow is really basic. It's really only two ways. But as soon as you add a third element, which is storage, is there's something it goes up to about seven different flows that can go from the battery. You can go yeah, from the from the P V to your battery and then battery out to the grid and the the you know, for the grid back into the battery and, and it just there's so many different ways that it can be configured. You really need some sophisticated software to make it work.
1: You do, and you need to balance them. So if you're wanting to use the energy for your own purposes and the network's wanting to use it and you're providing balancing services via frequency control, so you're monitoring the frequency and trying to keep it at fifty hertz. You now have a we got a co-optimization problem, so you've got to work out amongst the all the things I could possibly be doing, what's the financially best one to do. So you need an algorithm that's quite hard to produce. That's what we do to, to solve that problem
2: for you. I'm going to end this and uh, and sorry for, to make for making you squirm, Luke, but we are going to get political a bit late on in this in this interview and talk a bit about the the recent developments around, uh, particularly around the CEFc. Now there was an announcement uh, today, as we record, that was the um, the, the Labor Party announcement that they intend to uh, get fifty, well, get Australia to have to generate fifty percent of its electricity from uh, renewables by twenty thirty, which is, I guess, what the industry has really been waiting for for guidance of what was going to happen post twenty twenty when the when the original Red Agreement was was completed. Um, but speaking specifically about the CEFC and uh, the, the government's mandate, firstly, how do you understand what the government has asked the CEFC to do around what it can invest in and what it can't? oh look i'm not not a super expert
1: on the on the subject, but what I understand is the c f c's been directed to invest in uh, more emergent technologies and less into both um, solar and wind power, which are both mature technologies at the same time, I understand they've asked for a a lower risk and a higher return so I think it leaves CEFC in a difficult position to deliver on the return mandate at the same time as as a mandate to to invest only in emerging technologies. So I think, I suspect the government might even agree with me that this is an attempt to backdoor
2: uh, shut down the CEFC because they can't do it through the front door. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of suspicion that that's the case, but I I was really interested. The first thing that I thought about when when uh, when they announced this is that it does also show that there's this they don't understand about about how everything is interrelated. Your software is in there to make storage more applicable, but it would really interact with solar PV on the roof and energy efficiency and demand response that happens, that what they might be funding might be a whole – one project will be a whole suite of things. So to say that – I mean, so what percentage of an investment uh, is going to be in in PV or wind for them not to fund it or not be allowed to fund it, or can it be no zero percentage? Because it just seems to me that the way energy works now is – what a project you could be funding could be a whole suite of things. So you know, how can you just pick out mm. the eyes out of particular investments, and how could that well, be even? Well, right?
1: that's exactly right. I mean, the, the Wind Lab, uh, a great Australian developer, announced the uh, re-announced really a project up in North Queensland that links wind and solar. Big wind, so 600 megawatts of each behind the meter, and you know that that's quite new, even though they're both mature. Mature-ish technologies, that linking them together in that way, and block dis- what we call block dispatching them. That that that's new, and uh, yeah. and you know you see, sh- should be funding things like that. In my view,
0: Luke, I'd like to talk about some of the sort of future opportunities. I mean, we've touched on some of these sort of things that are focused more on sort of what we consider stationary storage um, but obviously you know you guys have, have got a deal with the Tesla power wall now we've got um, companies like Mercedes that are looking to release a battery um, how do you see this sort of collision between what's happening with stationary storage and um, EV manufacturers and consumer markets do you foresee a day where this technology you could sit at home and you could have one little flow battery say in another uh, Tesla car and you could actually discharge the car into the grid and you you could use evs as uh, in collaboration with your technology as well
1: yeah you certainly could and my uh, colleague and a, and a founder of reposite uh, is very keen on that what we call vehicle to grid technology i was talking to another person in the industry and, and they asked me if i'd ever taken petrol out of my car and i said i had not i do actually have an electric car now but when i had a petrol one so i hadn't so um you know there might be i suspect that a it might not be the best thing to do to, to 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 empty your car into your house. So I think more um, we will see some interaction between EVs, your PV panels, your stationary storage, and your house. But I I I don't think we'll we'll get to a world where your um, your car is your only battery. I think you're right in that there will be a supplementary one,
0: especially as you tend to be out during the day when you get all your sun and uh, you, you guys are par- partnering with Tesla in Australia how is that relationship developing at the moment
1: yeah look we're very excited about it and certainly consumers are very excited about the Tesla storage we are going to see units here in in october and uh, they'll be in small quantities and we'll see much much more generally available from next year they are one of many and uh look but they have they've tapped into a seam of excitement that none of
0: the other manufacturers have managed to do but they'll certainly ride along the wave, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. Thank you very much, Luke. Uh, it's great to have you in the studio and great to have you on the show again. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to the Beyond Zero show. To find out more about what we do, you can get in contact with us at bze.org.au. My name's Matt Grantham. I'm Anthony Daniel. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
2: Think, brain battery is duty underlying science justice.
0: Clever systems for how vehicles are charged
2: solar window
0: in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthew.3cr.org.au.